coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to finish the December mailbag, to finish the drill, as old Mark Rick used to say, is my co-host, Charlie. So, Charlie, welcome back in once again. Thanks for having me. How you doing today? I'm good. Still feeling the loss? The SEC title loss? Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm still disappointed and frustrated that the whole thing finishing number five again for the second straight year. But like I'm, I'm not feeling this loss as much, which I know is weird because it's such a big game. As much as I did, like maybe the South Carolina loss, because I somewhat ex- I don't want to say expected this, but once I found out that DeAndre Swift wasn't really going to be a factor after that first drive, it's like, oh yeah, this game is over. So I was kind of almost not saying over it then, but I realized pretty quickly we weren't going to have a chance. So. I'm not as upset, because when you lose to a team that, that I think you can argue, well, is just maybe better than you, I can accept that a little bit more than like a loss to South Carolina. That's the one I still can't get over. I'm still not over that. I'm still not over that, because if we win that game... Are you we, still crying yourself to sleep every night? I, I'm not crying myself to sleep every night. I guess I'm like, I've, I've, I guess I've reached the acceptance stage of the, the stages of grief with, with that South Carolina loss at this point, but... Like, it's one of those things, like, it's one of those scars that just doesn't go, I shouldn't say it's a scar, but it's one of those things I just, I shake my head now, because I'm like, oh my god, if we, if we had just not screwed up and lost to a freaking 4-8 and eight South Carolina team, we're in the college football playoff. Like, when you sit and you think about that, it's like, wow, okay, so that happened, and that's the thing. But I know, I need to get so over that. But no, I am excited about the, sh- I, I, I will say, I'm, I'm excited about the Sugar Bowl. I know a lot of people don't care about bowl games as much anymore, and I know people, we were there last year, so I don't know how excited the fan base in general is, but I'm excited. I love New Orleans. I think it's a really fun town. The Sugar Bowl is a great event to go to. I'm excited to play another game of football, watch our dogs play one more time. And I think we'll get into this more as we preview the Sugar Bowl later on. But I'm actually maybe, I know it's weird because we're playing Baylor as opposed to Texas. I'm more excited to play in this Sugar Bowl than I was against Texas because like this game, like we need to win this football game. Like we the vibe is different, right? Like after the Texas game, it's like, well, we thought we might have or going into the Texas game, that Sugar Bowl, we thought we might have a chance to sneak in the Sugar Bowl. And we were so close losing that game at the last second Alabama like that. We were all kind of collectively just kind of down about it. And we were, and it was nice to go to New Orleans, it was a lot of fun, but I wasn't necessarily feeling that game because I just wanted to be in the playoffs so bad. I thought we should be there. This year I'm kinda like, hey, you know, no, we probably shouldn't be in the playoff right now. Um, and we need this win to kind of get the bad taste out of our mouth moving forward with some positive momentum through the offseason. So, yeah, I'm excited about it. Have you started your scouting report of Baylor yet? Oh, I started that about three or four weeks ago when I thought there was a possibility. I'm sorry. I, I, am, I well, once forgot I really, who I was talking to. <laughs> well, dude, if we, if we didn't end up in the playoff, it's probably going to be Oklahoma who would sneak in there number four. And so the second place team in the Big 12 would be in the Sugar Bowl. And we had a good chance of being in the Sugar Bowl with how things played out. So I've been watching Baylor pretty closely. Uh, but, yeah, I, I've, I've pulled up some tape. Uh, already this week, watched about the first half of that Oklahoma game again, that, that Big 12 title game, but a lot more tape to watch, and we'll have you guys cover for that in a couple weeks. All right. Well, are you ready to get started? Uh, Yeah. Questions. Hit me. All right. Obviously, with Sam Pittman now the head coach at Arkansas and the other coaching carousel speculation going on, we're going to start there this week. John asks, I know losing the pit boss isn't ideal, but I love the hire of Matt Luke. In his opinion, he was the best replacement possible. What do you think? Yeah, I'm really excited about the hire of Matt Luke. I told you guys on the last mailbag episode that 
he was the guy that I wanted first and foremost. He was the first guy that came to mind, actually, when the news started to come down, or at least reports started to come out that Sam Pittman was heavily involved with Arkansas and might end up going there. And I, I was tweeting uh, tweeting that out a couple times on Saturday after, or Sunday afternoon as we were trying to follow the Sam Pittman news. So I'm very, very excited about the hire. I do agree with you, John, that this was, of the guys available out there on the market, this guy was the best possible replacement for a lot of reasons. I think number one, uh, that he is going to be a really good recruiter. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be as good of a recruiter as Sam Pittman, but I certainly think that's possible. Because, I mean, as good of a, of a recruiter as Sam Pittman was for us, I want to go back in history, guys, when he was at Tennessee, when he was at Arkansas. Yes, he was a good recruiter there at those schools, but he wasn't the, the, the level recruiter that he became once he got here to Georgia. And he made he alluded to that in his opening press conference at Arkansas. Georgia made Sam Pittman a better recruiter because of what we have to offer, what we give him to sell to players. Now, he's always been a really personable guy, really down-to-earth, genuine dude, and he's recruited well wherever he's been, but nowhere near the level he was able to recruit when he was here at Georgia. Uh, Like he said in in his press conference, recruiting at Georgia is like recruiting on steroids. So Matt Luke is also a good recruiter. He's a guy very similar to Sam Pittman who has a reputation as being a player's coach, really down-to-earth, really personable, really genuine, cares about his players, players care about them, or care about him. I told you guys um, the anecdote there. This is the reports coming out of Mississippi when he when news came down he got fired the uh, players at the the meeting there with the athletic director when they were announcing and ex- explaining to them that Matt Luke was not going to be their coach there was like a borderline mutiny there were players just walking out of the meeting uh, because they love this guy so I, I I love that about him I think now if you take those qualities and you add that to the Georgia brand and what he has to sell I think Again, I'm not going to say he's going to be as good as Sam Pittman. I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off. I really believe that. Another factor that I don't think people are paying as much attention to, and John, when he uh, put this tweet out there, it was a much longer tweet. I just didn't want you to have to read all that, Charlie. But John was alluding to some things that I totally agree with. I'm glad he said his, his thoughts are mirroring my thoughts exactly. An underrated aspect of hiring Matt Luke is what he brings to the table offensively from a schematic standpoint. Yes, he's our offensive line coach, but that does not mean that he is limited to just coaching the offensive line. He is going to bring new ideas to uh, to our program and I, I think will, in a lot of ways, help update our scheme offensively a lot more than what it's been the past couple of years. This guy worked with David Cutcliffe, who's known around the world of college football as a great offensive mind. Uh, he worked with Hugh Freeze, who's also known as an innovative offensive mind. By the way, he was a co-offensive coordinator at Duke with David Cutcliffe and also the co-offensive coordinator at Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze before he was uh, promoted to the interim position. Now, he wasn't calling plays there, but still, he was intimately involved in the game planning and the scheming for those offenses. And those are two offenses that operate very differently from our pro-style offense. So I think he's going to, I think there's gonna be, he's going to bring an influx of new ideas to our scheme. And I, and I hope, and I think that we will start to implement some of those things. You don't have to be the offensive coordinator or a passing game coordinator like Joe Brady at LSU to have an influence on the scheme you're, that your offense runs. I think that a guy like, uh, like Matt Luke can bring new ideas. And that's also not Failed to mention that he worked with Rich Rodriguez. He hired Rich Rodriguez at Ole Miss this year. I don't want to run Rich Rod's offense, and we don't have the skill to do that, but you can incorporate some of those ideas. RPOs, for example. Uh, you can diversify the RPO game. Ole Miss did a great job of that this year under Rich Rod. So I think he's to bring a lot of new ideas, a really good recruiter. Uh, he put a couple guys put a couple guys in the, in the first round of the NFL draft, so he's got that reputation behind him. So I think all things considered, it was the best possible replacement. I'm totally in agreement with there.
with okay. that. Well, now that Matt Luke is officially on board as the new offensive line coach, Taylor wants to know how you feel about our ability to keep all of our committed linemen in the fold. He says, we've already lost one, but we can't. can we keep the rest of them? And how big of a loss is Joshua Braun? Yeah, so if you guys haven't seen this, we're recording this uh, on Wednesday evening at 6.32 p.m. We'll try to get this up uh, by Thursday afternoon, early Thursday evening. So there might be more news by the time I, I uh, answer, by the time you listen to this show. But as of right now, the only commitment of our five offensive linemen commitments that we've lost is Joshua Braun out of Florida. And I kind of saw that one coming. He was a guy, he's out of state, and uh, he, he was heavily recruited by Florida. We beat Florida out. Sam Pittman was a big reason why he committed. And so he has reopened his commitment. He hasn't committed anywhere else. He's probably going to end up at Florida. And that's fine. Best of luck to him. I will say I wasn't really uh, excited about how Joshua Braun decommitted. Uh, usually these guys say, I want to thank everyone for giving me the opportunity and, and spending time with me and that kind of thing. And his was very, I don't know, I, I, I think it was borderline disrespectful. He basically ended it by saying, uh, Sam Pittman was a big reason that I committed to Georgia, which, okay, that's cool, I get that. And now that he's left, the commitment is void. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's kind of like somewhat, not harsh, but like just kind of disrespectful to say that. Uh, kind of tactless. Uh, so I, I don't know, whatever, go to Florida, have fun and uh, have fun losing to us the next four years. Cool. Have fun doing that. So he's gone. That's fine. And so we have four linemen in the fold right now. The biggest one that I think is, has the potential to potentially maybe reopen his commitment would be Cedric Van Pran. Because, you know, when you're looking at the two guys that we have in state right now, Broderick Jones and Tate Riley, those are in-state Georgia guys. A lot of the, it, basically what's happening these days is a lot of players. This is not maybe not anything new, but a lot of players are committing to the coach, right? Your position coach. And Sam Pittman was a dynamic personality, so all the offensive linemen, you know, they committed in large part because of Sam Pittman, his reputation for getting guys in the NFL, his personality, his genuine character, all of those things. And when you are, but when you are in state, when you're an in-state prospect, yes. You might really like Sam Pittman, but you also love the hopefully love the University of Georgia, and want, maybe you grew up wanting to play for Georgia. So when you lose Sam Pittman, that might hurt and sting a little bit, and that might be a factor in you considering reopening things. But you also committed to the school as well. It's some of these out of state guys like Joshua Braun from Florida, where he didn't really necessarily commit to Georgia. It wasn't about the school, it wasn't about the university, it wasn't about the program. It's more about the position coach. And I think you see that more with out-of-state prospects as opposed to in-state guys who grew up with the G all around them and hopefully cheering for, rooting for, and loving the University of Georgia. So I'm hoping that Broderick Jones and Tate Rattledge are guys that we can keep in the fold. I know Broderick Jones uh, had t- taken a visit to Auburn. I get all that. And Tate Rattledge, uh, we've already visited him at the Darlington School. Matt Luke, one of his first stops, along with Kirby Smart, flew over there. So I, I, I would love to be able to keep all four of those guys in the fold. But if I was looking at one that might potentially start to look elsewhere, or maybe reopen his commitment, I would point at Cedric Van Pran. Chad Lindbergh is also out of state, but he's a guy that, that openly was very excited about the Matt Luke hire. He's kind of campaigning for him, lobbying for him before he was hired, and seemed to be very, very excited about it on social media. So I, I'm hoping that he is locked up, and I would love to keep Cedric Van Pran. Hopefully Matt Luke can get out there and lock him up, but um, that's the one I would certainly watch for. And I'm not saying that Broderick Jones and Tate Rattledge are like done deals by any stretch of imagination. I'm not saying that. I do know that Tate Rattledge is keeping his official visit this weekend in Athens. So that's huge. Uh, again, I mentioned Matt Luke's already visited with him, kind of started to build that relationship a little bit. So I'm hopeful that we can keep those guys from in-state, really all of them. Uh, I can't guarantee we're going to keep the guys in-state, but I think we have a better chance of keeping Jones and Rattledge. 
Okay. Our next question comes from Michael. He wants to know, how big of a mistake was it for Kirby to let Mike Bobo end up at a divisional rival like South Carolina? I guess we'll see. We'll have to see how that plays out. Here's why I stand on Mike Bobo. I, I made it clear, and if you guys listen to the show, you know this. I, I love Mike Bobo. I, I, I think the, the later – I know. I don't think – I know the latter years, the Mark Rick tenure, Mike Bobo was keeping this program together. There's zero doubt about that. And I have uh, – I strongly believe that if Mike Bobo had not taken the Colorado State job and we hadn't hired Brian Schottenheimer, things might have gone down very differently with Rick's final year. Uh, who knows how that would have played out. I think – he did an outstanding job for us uh, from really Aaron Murray on. Uh, some of the more dynamic offenses in Georgia history, the more productive offenses in Georgia history, were Mike Bobo-led offenses. So I think he's a really good offensive coordinator. But the the thought around Dog Nation right now is that we need to open up the offense. Right, Charlie? Yes. That's the big thought. We need to open up the offense. We need to get more dynamic, all those things. I'm, I'm not sure Mike Bobo would satisfy everyone in that regard. Mike Bobo, let's not forget, guys, is very much a pro-style coordinator. That's the core of what he does. Now, he he'd certainly, like even like, like James Coley has, they've all kind of incorporated spread principles into their pro-style system. But at its core, Mike Bobo still runs a pro-style system. He still wants to run the football. He'll still go under center at times, just like we do. So I, he was probably not probably, he, I would feel more comfortable with him as our offensive coordinator in a pro-style system than I would James Coley. He has a better track record. Um, he's he's proven it to me. He's got more experience. He knows the University of Georgia better. Uh, he knows the, the Georgia area better. Uh, I I love all those things about him. So if I could if I could trade places and give Coley to South Carolina and take Bobo, I probably w- I would do that in a, in a heartbeat. But if you're talking about like revolutionizing our offense and opening things up, I don't know if Mike Bobo would have been the answer that people were looking for. I think people would have been screaming yelling about Mike Bobo just like they were about James Coley this year, and just like they were about James or uh, Jim Cheney the past two years. So I just I don't know about that because it's 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 a very similar scheme. Do I think he's a better play caller? Yeah, potentially. Uh, do I like his track record more? Absolutely. But I don't think he was going to revolutionize the offense like a lot of people are screaming for right now. I, I think it was going to be a, a similar look. All right. Next up, Hunter wants to know, do you think there will be any more movement on our coaching staff before the dust settles? That's something I wish I had a definitive answer for. I I can't tell you anything definitive there. Uh, It's certainly possible. I mean, it's a revolving door in college football these days with assistant coaches. That's why I wasn't too torn about Sam Pittman leaving. I would have loved to have kept Sam Pittman, of course, but that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of college football. It's rare that assistant coaches stay in more than three or four years. They're all looking for the next promotion. Position coaches want to be coordinators. Coordinators want to be head coaches. If people have connections and they have alma maters they could go back to and mama comes calling, all that kind of stuff. It's just rare that a program keeps their, their coaching staff intact for an extended period of time. Clemson has been the exception over the past five, six, seven years. But everyone else, I mean, it, there's a lot of turnover. So I wasn't too torn about it. And, and there could be more turnover this year. I know that Auburn made a run at Del McGee again. They made a run at Del McGee last year as their offensive coordinator, and he turned them down. It wouldn't have been a play-calling spot because, obviously, you got Malzahn calling the plays. But they made a run at him there. He turned that down. And I, and I, th- I think that we're okay with Del McGee because you guys got to remember he was a high school football coach in the state of Georgia. He's put a lot of years in the Georgia education state the, the retirement system, right? So he is only a couple years away. He's not far away from some really, really great benefits, a great pension in the state of Georgia. So it would take something mega for him to leave. So I, I, I feel pretty good about him staying. There, there's rumors that Trey Scott might be uh, looking at Arkansas, that Sam Pittman's trying to recruit him over 
to Fayetteville as their defensive line coach. That's certainly possible. I, I, I can't sit here and say that's not going to happen. Dan Lanning has been a target, like target numero uno for Mike Norvell at Florida State as a defense coordinator at Florida State. Uh, the, the number I've seen is they're offering about $1.3 million. I certainly think that we can match that and will match that. And I, I think he would be. Uh, I think he'd be foolish to go to Florida State right now. Honestly, he's got a great thing here, great talent. I know he's friends with Mike Norvell, coached with him at Memphis. I get that, but he's also good friends with Kirby Smart. Kirby gave him this opportunity. He's got a lot more talent to work with right now. The program's just in a lot better shape. So I think if he wants to take that next step as a head coach, I think staying at Georgia is the, the safer bet. But we'll see. We'll see what his priorities are. That's certainly possible that he could go somewhere else. But if he does, then you just promote Glenn Schumann. I feel really good about Glenn Schumann. Uh, but other than that, like I, I mean, I don't think Scott Fountain I, as special teams coordinator. I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, Cortez Hanks, I don't think he's going anywhere. And James Coley, I know people want him gone, but as of right now, like I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not saying their offense is going to look the exact same next year, but I think we're probably going to have the same coordinator. I could totally be wrong there, and something could happen tomorrow by the time the show's posted. But right now, he's out recruiting for us, as is Dan Lanning. Uh, so I feel like. Yeah, maybe Trace got to be the one that's most likely to end up somewhere else if he ends up at Arkansas. But I feel like we're in pretty good shape all the way around for the rest of the guys. And before we move on to our next question, I do want to quickly remind you guys about our good friends at Vivid Seats. Uh, I know I've told you guys this before, but I'm going to re-emphasize this to you because I actually benefited from it today, believe it or not. When you buy any tickets, actually when you just sign up, when you download the Vivid Seats app... You don't have to sign up. Just download the app. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app, and you will automatically be enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. I told you guys last week that uh, I went to Vivid Seats and bought a pair of tickets to the SEC title game, and you know uh, they were great prices, but you know it was still an expensive ticket. So by buying those tickets, I was able to earn some credits back, and I used those credits to already buy a pair of tickets to the Sugar Bowl. And get this, guys. This is the best part. So the tickets were already cheap because Vivid Seats, they have the best prices you're going to find anywhere. And with those great prices combined with my credits that I had earned from the SEC title tickets and that purchase, I was able to get two tickets to the Sugar Bowl for a grand total of $23.46. I kid you not. $23.46. So why not go ahead, go to Vivid Seats, Buy a pair of tickets to the Sugar Bowl and go to New Orleans and have a heck of a time over New Year's and cheer our dogs on as we take on the Baylor Bears. And when you take a look and it's time to buy, new users enter promo code OVERTIME at checkout and you can receive an additional discount of up to $100. All right. Nathan wants to know, which players do you believe will leave early for the NFL and which players do you think are at risk of transferring? Okay, which players do I think will leave early for the NFL draft? Okay, there's a couple guys I think are done deals. I think that DeAndre Swift's a done deal to the NFL with the short shelf life of NFL running backs. You gotta go if you're a junior, if you're a high level junior prospect at the running back position, you gotta go. And very rarely do they stay. Very, very rarely do they pull a Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle. Those guys are rarities. That's not. Those are the exceptions. So I think he's gone. Andrew Thomas is going to be a first round pick at left tackle. I think he's certainly gone. But outside of that, like. Those two, I think, are definitely gone. But there's some other guys that could go. It could go either way, maybe 50-50. Isaiah Wilson, that one's a toss-up to me. I think it's a 50-50 thing. I think we could potentially sell him on, hey, dude, you know, you could play left tackle, right? That coveted left tackle position where you make all the money in the NFL protecting quarterbacks' blind sides. We can get you over there, get you a year of film and tape at left tackle. You can show the NFL uh, 
scouts so you can play that position, that you're not too big and too slow, and you can make a lot more money at that position. I think that's a possibility. But also, I can see it going the other way where his the, the offensive line coach that recruited him, that coached him up his first three years in Athens, he's gone. You got a new offensive line coach your last year. Do you really want to stay for that? Uh, so I could see him potentially jumping because of that. But I think, honestly, if I was him, I would stay to show that I could try to play left tackle. That's what I would do. But it's 50-50 there. Richard LeCount's another guy. Had a, I think he had a really, really good year for us this year. And I think that he's a, another guy's 50-50. I would love for him to come back. I think he could benefit from coming back because his name, he started to kind of build his name up this year. I think he came back for one more year. He can he could work himself in the early second, or the, yeah, early second, maybe late first round next year with another year. So you got to watch out for him. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Eric Stokes. I don't think, I mean, Stokes was good this year. I don't think he had the kind of year where he's going to leave early for the NFL, although he is uh, certainly uh, eligible to do so if he pleases. Off the top of my head, I think who else? Who else? So there's no, obviously no receivers. So those are the ones I'll be looking at right now. Uh, in terms of guys who I, who could transfer away, there's a bunch of guys. One guy that apparently hit the transfer portal today that no one really is going to talk about is Prather Hudson. If you guys don't know who Prather Hudson is, uh, he is a special teams ace for us, and he put his name in the transfer portal. He's been a walk on, and, I, and I, I'm. I'm, just, I'm guessing what he wants to do in the situation is try to go down to a smaller school and get a chance to play running back. Because I think he can be a really productive running back uh, at maybe a lower level. So that's going to hurt us because he is a special teams beast. I mean, there's a play against Georgia Tech where he just comes out of nowhere and flying and just crushes the guy. Really, really good special teams player for us. So that's going to be a loss if he, if he does end up transferring. Uh, I would look at the receiver position. I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Matt Landers uh, with, with some of the heat he's taken. I know coming into this year, uh, he'd already thought about transferring because he hadn't gotten much, as much playing time as he thought he should get. Maybe this year was a, an eye-opener for him. Maybe he realized, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. I'm going to stick around and try to get better, maybe, but I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked to see Trey Blunt at wide receiver try to look around and transfer somewhere else. Channing Tindall, at inside linebacker, who basically who was not a part of the rotation really at all this year at inside linebacker after being uh, somewhat in that rotation a little bit last year. He was completely passed up by Quay Walker, who, who he was ahead of last year. I, got, I told you guys last year that Quay Walker was more physically gifted and versatile than Shane Tindall. He was just further behind from play, in terms of playing, learning how to play that inside linebacker position. Once he figured it out, he was going to be a better player than Tindall, and I think that showed itself this year. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Tindall go. Uh, it's a couple guys at the end of backfield. Otis Reese, who uh, was a really highly recruited guy, and I'm, and I'm still very high on him. But you know, a lot of people talk about him potentially overtaking Richard LeCount in the preseason at that safety position. Well, that didn't happen. And our third safety, our first safety off the bench was Lewis Seen, a true freshman. So does Otis Reese potentially think about trying to go somewhere else? I think a lot of that might depend on does Richard LeCount come back this year. It's just, I mean, I hope he doesn't go. I still believe they can be a really good player for us. But I, I know he has not seen as much playing time his first two years as he was hoping to see here in Athens. Uh, let's see, who else? Who else? Uh, James Cook. I know if, if Swift leaves, I mean, Cook's obviously going to be aligned for some more touches and some more looks. But this guy's been so woefully underutilized his first couple years in Athens. I would not at all blame him for thinking about transferring somewhere else where they might they might feature his skill set a little bit more prominently, prominently than we have been able to or that we have chosen to. I hope to God he does. And I think there's a really good chance he sticks around because he sees maybe some more opportunity with, with DeAndre Swift and with Brian Herring graduating. But again, I wouldn't blame him at all if he decided to take a look elsewhere. But uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. Off the top of my head, though, those are the guys that come to mind. Okay, we're going to move on to the next topic. And, well, we all know it wouldn't be a 2019 edition of the Glory UGA Mailbag Show without a Jake Fromm question. What? Jake Fromm? Who yes. is this guy you so speak of? Don has a very simple question. 
And his question, not simple, but you, I'm sure you'll elaborate on it plenty. He wants Whoa, to wait, know, wait, wait, what are you saying? I feel like that was a thinly veiled shot. No, not at all. Don uh. wants to know, are you still the president of the Jake Fromm fan club? Don, I am still very much the proud president of the Jake Fromm fan club. You guys know, uh, I, I'm going to try to make Charlie happy here. And, and her, the, I know this, you can't see her facial expression. She's like disgusted that I'm probably going to go on and on and Only on. Only a few this. eye rolls. A few? I'm sure you have like a 17 point bulleted list. I saw like a, oh list. my God face. 17 point bulleted list. Look, I have no notes today. I'm doing this note list today. Oh, okay. So well, you're we're still going to talk for five minutes. All right. Well, okay. Let me answer the question. You're you're holding us up here. All right. So Jake Fromm, yes, I am still the president of the Jake Fromm fan club. I believe in the guy. I've seen him do it. All right. It's not blind faith because I've seen the guy do it his first two years here in Athens. Took us to a national title game, uh, within an eyelash of winning that game. Uh, won an SEC title. Uh, played really well against Alabama last year in the SEC title game. This year was good for the first half of the year. Second half of the year, last third of the year was a totally different animal. But I still believe in Jake Fromm. And I and I, I love what Jake Fromm brings to the table. One of the reasons I, I love the guy is I, I, I just love what he brings to the table from a mental standpoint, from a character standpoint, from a leadership standpoint. I, I, I've always, and I'll, I'll own it, I've always had a soft spot for any guy who, who's kind of worked his way into a spot. Maybe he doesn't have as much talent, physical gifts as other guys, but has had to work and work and work and outworks people. And Jake Fromm is certainly that. He is that kind of guy. The relentless work ethic, the strong competitive drive, those are things I've always really valued in any athlete, especially football players, especially quarterbacks as well. And I think Jake Fromm has those characteristics in spades, and those are things that help you win football games. They help impact your football team in a positive way. And the way I've always looked at it is you, you can't do anything about the physical attributes you were given. That's out of your control. But you can control your attitude, how hard you work, how you lead, how you carry yourself in general. And so to me, those things, that tells me far more about who you are than the physical traits do. And, and he clearly, Jake clearly understood his physical limitations pretty early on. And he went about compensating for those by mastering coverages, under, understanding offensive schemes and concepts, all those things that it takes a lot of work to really be able to do, he does those things. And I personally just have a lot of respect for that. Now, he certainly has physical limitations. I fully recognize that. I've never sat here and said that he doesn't. I do think he has a stronger arm than people give him credit for. It's not a cannon. It's not a Jacob Eason arm. But he has an, an arm that was plenty strong enough to make every single throw the guy needs to make. I've seen him sit there on the far hash and make deep out throws and put the ball, put it on there with plenty of mustard. So he's got plenty of arm, but he does, he certainly has some physical limitations in terms of his athleticism. But again, I've seen the guy do it plenty of times throughout his career. Now that last half of the season without his best receiver in Lawrence Cager, the one he trusted the most as go-to guy, it was an issue without guys outside of George Pickens stepping up. And I, and I know you, some of you are shaking your head now saying, oh, here he goes, just putting it all on the receivers. But guys, I'm dead serious. Look at our receiving group. I, I, I know that Jake Fromm is not as talented as Trevor Lawrence. He's not as talented as Joe Burrow. He's not. He's not as talented as those, as those quarterbacks in the college football playoffs. But I'll also say this. Do you think those other quarterbacks, the Trevor Lawrence of the, wor of the world, the Joe Burrows, the uh, Justin Fields even, do you think they're going to put the same numbers they put up this year if they were thrown to our receivers? I, I'm sorry. You can, you can think that if you want. I, I, but I also am going to think you're crazy. There's no way they're putting up those numbers with the receivers that Jake Fromm had to work with the last third of the season. There's absolutely no way on earth. And if you give Jake Fromm their receivers, you give him T. Higgins and Justin Ross 
and KJ Hill and Chris Olave and CD Lamb and Jamar Chase. If you give them all those guys, Jake's numbers would have looked a lot better this year. In fact, I think it would look very similar to the numbers he put up last year. I truly believe that. I believe it was more a function of the personnel around him. Did he miss some throws? Of course he missed some throws. Absolutely he did. Did he leave some touchdowns out there? Leave some points out there? Of course he did. But so did all those other quarterbacks. But like I said on last on the, on the show earlier this week, the reason we don't talk about those quarterbacks missing throws is because they make so many plays with the receivers they're throwing to that you forget about the ones they miss. They don't really matter. But when Fromm doesn't make all those plays, doesn't have the receivers around him to help him make those plays, all the misses are magnified. But I, I, I've seen the guy do it. I've seen him get us in the right run play time after time after time. I've seen him make the right checks at the line of scrimmage and read defenses pre-snap time after time after time. I've seen him make good decision time after time. I've seen him make the post-snap reads time after time after time. This guy was the third most efficient quarterback in college football in 2018 behind the Heisman Trophy winner and the Heisman Trophy runner-up last year, okay? The guy's production has been there through the first two years. This year, the first half of the year, it was there. The second half, last third of the year, whatever you want to say, it certainly was not there. But that, to me, it's just too coincidental to see that it coincides with Lawrence Cager basically being a non-factor of that Florida game. Because it was after the Florida game. Yeah, I know the South Carolina game was not good. But I'll still say it was only one of those interceptions was on him. He wasn't great in that game. It was a terrible decision. Uh, that pick six started for halftime, that's totally on him. But that was the only one that was really his fault in that game. He comes back, plays extraordinarily well against Florida. Uh, was a big reason, part of the reason why we won that football game. After that, it was all downhill from there. But you're also to factor in after that, Lawrence Cager was a non-factor the rest of the way. Did not play an entire football game the rest of the way. So yeah, if you give us, if you give Jay Fromm some more weapons, I absolutely believe he can return to the same form we saw his first two years on campus. And you can sit here and say, well, that means he's a game manager. That means he doesn't elevate the talent around him. That means that he's dependent on the, uh, dependent on the receivers that he has to work with. And I would say, yeah, he is. Because so is everyone else. Again, are you telling me that if Trevor Lawrence is on our football team, he's throwing to Tyler Simmons and Kiaris Jackson and Matt Landers, that he's going to put up the numbers that he's put up the past past year and a half? No way in hell. It's just not happening. So I, I, I just completely don't buy that argument. So I know Charlie's sitting here rolling her eyes again. I said I wasn't going to go long, but I guess I kind of went long there. But right. yes. I'm still the president of the Jake Fromm fan club. It's okay. You still get another Jake Fromm question. Oh, yes. Thank you for your question, Adam. He says that he is not blaming the LSU loss on Fromm, nor is he saying that Fromm is awful. He's always been on Team Fromm, but no one can deny that he took a big step backwards this year, and he thinks Cheney is a big reason why. Adam has been hesitant to mention this because he knows people won't want to admit it, but he can't be the... But he can't be the only person who thinks not having Cheney this season has had a major effect on Fromm's performance. He knows that we lost the wide receivers and the tight ends, but how can we go? For, how can Jake go from being so clutch his prior two years to this? And also, Cliff had a similar question to this, so thanks, Cliff and Adam. Uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate the questions. Yeah. Okay. So Cheney certainly, you could say he had an impact on. Jake Fromm in the offense the past couple years. He's been the offensive coordinator for sure. And he was Jake's first quarterback's coach here in Athens. But we also have to remember that James Coley moved to quarterback coach last year. And Jake, like I said, was the third most efficient quarterback in all of college football in terms of his QBR behind the Heisman Trophy winner and the Heisman Trophy runner-up with James Coley as his quarterback coach last year. James Coley still his quarterback coach this year. Of course, he took on some additional responsibilities as the primary play caller. So I I don't know. I I, I guess you, you, you could argue that Cheney leaving 
kind of had an impact on Jake Fromm. But to me, I, I don't know if that's causation. Maybe there's some correlation there, but I don't know if you can you can prove that there's any causation there whatsoever. Uh, but I, I do think that Jake would benefit from having a true quarterback coach. I think that's that's one of the reasons I would have loved for Mike Bobo to come into Athens as our coordinator or in some capacity, because he is clearly, one area that he is clearly better than James Coy, I don't think this can even be argued, is as a quarterback coach, as a developer of quarterbacks. Uh, we saw him with Matthew Stafford. We saw him with Aaron Murray. The guy can absolutely coach quarterbacks. And Coley, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's a terrible quarterbacks coach. I don't have to be with him on the field to see what he's doing. But he's certainly not as much of a quarterback coach by trade as a guy like Mike Bobo. So I do think if we can could finagle a way to make it happen, it'd be really, it would really benefit Jay to have more of like a truly dedicated quarterback coach. I know that's technically what Coley is, but a guy that's more of a track record coaching quarterbacks and getting them to perform at a high level. Because I do think that Jake did develop some mechanical issues later in the year. And, and I think a large part of that was a lack of confidence, which is tough to see. Because one of the things I love about Jake Fromm, as I was mentioned there, I love his competitiveness. I love his his drive to, to be as good as he possibly can be. And all players want to be good. All players are competitive. But some just take it up a notch. And Jake Fromm is one of the guys that takes it up a notch. And I always love those kind of guys, kind of underdogs who just fight and scratch and claw for everything and that's had this competitive drive about them. And, and I love that about Jake. But I, I do think that this year he lost some confidence, which I have not seen from him at any point in his career. I, I did see it in his face. Again, trying to play amateur psychologist here. I don't know how well I can do that. But I, I did see some of that this year. And a lot of times when you lose confidence like that and things get into your head, one of the first things that goes out the window are your mechanics. And it's tough to kind of get that back. So uh, I, w- again, would really uh, love if there was any way possible to try to get a, a different quarterback coach in here, if we can work that out. I know it's tough with only being allowed 10 assistant coaches. There have to be some reorganization of the staff. But I do think it would benefit Jake. And if it benefits Jake, then ultimately it's going to benefit our entire team. Okay. We do have one question wanting to take one more look back at the SEC championship loss. Do we really have to? Yay. Okay, let's do it. So Jamil says he thought he thinks our whole offensive and defensive game plan in the SEC championship game was stupid. <laughs> Tell us how you feel, Jamil. <laughs> Jamil Don't hold that, just, man. That just doesn't sound like you. So let's it says let's rush three people and allow elite wide receivers to get open. Yeah, I, I touched on this a little bit. Thanks for the question, Jamil. Uh, I appreciate the thoughts, the very blunt thoughts. And I touched on this. I a like l- it. I do. I That's love it. I, hey, I hey, come with the heat, man. I like it. Uh, I, I touched on this a little bit on the recap show, but I'll, I'll certainly talk about it a little bit more in depth here. But kind of going back to what I said, like I, I didn't really. I'm a little bit different than you, Jamil, and I'm. I'm not saying I'm right. I just I didn't have personally. I didn't have as much of an issue with the game plans. Because I don't know what else we were supposed to do. Offensively, I, I told you guys coming to the show, on the preview show last week, that I thought we should try to run the football, play some old-school smash-mouth football. That's where we might have the advantage against their front seven. But when we saw that DeAndre Swift was not going to be a factor, and that kind of goes out the window. Because Brian Herring and, and Zeus aren't ready to really kind of carry the, the weight like uh, like Swift was, was doing for us most of the year. So then if you can't do that, then what do you try to do? You try to throw the football, right? But how is that going to work for us? Because we don't have the receivers to do that right now. So I don't know like what we were going to do offensively. Kirby said that we that he knew that we, well, we felt like we had to score points. We couldn't really run the football effectively because Swift obviously wasn't healthy. So we tried to open up and, and throw the football and, and get that lead early in the game. We tried. And we dialed up some good plays. Honestly, like there were some plays that were there to be made where the receiver dropped the ball or Jake missed the throw 
throw, or we, we didn't protect long enough, and the plays couldn't develop. Whatever the reason, there was just not enough execution. But I didn't necessarily have a major problem with the offensive game plan. I just don't know really with the offensive deficiencies we had, what else we were going to do in that game. And defensively, we did basically what I thought we would do. And what I suggest that we should do is go out there and play in a dime package. They actually won up me. I was saying play with 60 Bs. We went with 70 Bs with Lewis C in the game as an extra safety most of the game. And we did bring pressure at times. And there were plenty of times where we only rushed three people. Absolutely. But if you blitz Joe Burrow, guys, I, I laid this out on the on the recap show or on the preview show, he is going to burn you. The numbers, against, his numbers against the blitz are crazy. And we tried, I think we blitzed 17 times, but he was highly efficient and highly effective against the blitz in that game. So you got, and what I said in the, in the preview show is you got you to mix it up with You got to rush sometimes. You got to rush with, with intention, but you also have to drop eight or nine in the coverage at times. Uh, or not really nine, but drop eight in the coverage at times. And we and we did that. We tried to mix it up. And I know it's frustrating when you see us only rushing three people and he's sitting back there all day. That's tough because if you let him sit back there all day, he's going to pick you apart, which he did. He did that to us. But also when we brought pressure and tried to force the issue, that's when he was able to escape the pocket and uh, kind of extend the play and make some of the biggest plays in the game, like that 71-yard pass to, uh, I think it was Jamar Chase, or was it Jefferson? It was actually Jefferson on that play. When we tried to bring pressure, and we had him back there, but he was able to escape. So whatever we did, it was not working. And I think we did do a good job of trying to mix things up. We came out with a scheme that I don't think they'd really seen before, but they were able to solve that because the bottom line was we were not able to win enough one-on-one battles up front on the line of scrimmage. I thought we would be able to against that LSU offensive line, especially their guards, but we just weren't able to get any pressure with a three and four man rush. And that was unfortunate. We got no push. I will say LSU was holding all night long, but look, that that didn't really turn the tide this game. We lost by four touchdowns, but they did get away with a lot of holding. That's one of the reasons why we're not able to get as much pressure without blitzing. But uh, I honestly didn't have too much of an issue. I, like LSU's offensively, like offensively, they're just really, really good. What I don't know what else we were going to try to do there. You can't play with your base package. You can't play with your nickel. If you blitz them all game, he's going to kill you. If you sit back and play coverage all game, he's going to pick you apart. We tried to mix it up, and it just uh, it wasn't our day. What's going to happen? Okay. Our next question comes from Will. Thanks for the question. He says, Our Havoc rates have been better but not reflected in sack rates, which really hurt us in the SEC title game. How do we improve finishing with sacks? Yeah, that's a great question. I do think we created more havoc in the backfield this year. I do think that we put more pressure on quarterbacks, got more quarterback hurries. But at the end of the day, the sack numbers weren't dramatically improved. We were only 88th nationally in sack rate, according to Football Outsiders, some of those advanced stats. So I do think that's a good point. And we saw it against Joe Burrow. A lot of time we were back there, but we just had trouble getting the guy on the ground, containing them. And honestly, it's really tough to do that when you have a guy as athletic as Joe Burrow. When you're talking about defensive linemen, big defensive linemen coming at him with his ability to escape. But the only way you get better at that is through repetition, through practice. And it's really, really difficult to simulate, simulate that in practice, like bringing down one of those truly elusive quarterbacks um, in the pocket there. Uh, how do you, I mean, we had guys back there. We dialed up some plays plenty of times in that game, especially. And we just couldn't, like, we couldn't finish the job. We could not get the guy on the ground. And again, I think that just comes through repetition, through practice. And in practice, maybe you can get some more athletic guys. They don't have to play quarterback, but just run around out there and try to practice bringing those guys on the ground, somehow getting them down. But other than that, I don't know what the answer is. Okay. Next, Micah asks, how did we finish fifth and still almost make the playoff? After losing LSU like that? <laughs> that's yeah. I think a lot of people would ask that question, Micah. But I would say, if you look at our resume, we had three top 15 wins. All right? I, don't, I think... Was there who else was was there another? I think Ohio State was also a team with three top fifteen wins. I want to say at some point, but there were very few teams with that resume. That's why I still maintain that if we would have 
made this a close game. It was a close loss. Like if Swift would have been healthy, if Cager was healthy, if Pickens was playing the whole game, it was a close loss. And we had opportunities, even with all the injuries, we had opportunities to make this a close loss. We had two touchdown passes dropped. Jake missed a potential touchdown pass to DeAndre or to uh, Demetrius Robertson. Like we had chances. We had two field goals that we missed. One was eminently makeable. I think it was a 37-yarder he missed, which is ridiculous. 52-yarder, I get but 37 yards indoors, come on, give me a break. We had chances to make this game closer, and I think if, if we had lost by maybe like 10 points or less, I think we had a chance to actually sneak in ahead of Oklahoma because we just have a much better resume than what Oklahoma has. Um, but at the end of the day, when you lose to South Carolina and you get blown out like that in the SEC title game, resume, quality wins or not, you're not getting in. So, But yeah, I still think we deserve to be fifth. If you look at the I mean, who else? You're going to put Oregon there? Um, what good, Oregon has one good win on the year. They beat Utah. That's their only good win. Uh, you're putting Baylor up there. I mean, Baylor has zero good wins. I, so I think we were the team. I mean, Florida, like we beat Florida head to head. We had more better, more quality wins than they do. So I think it makes sense for us to be fifth and almost get in. Okay. For the second straight year. Jesus Christ. Well, next up with the early signing um, day right around the corner, which is what? Next Thursday? Next Wednesday. The 19th next Wednesday. The I think it's yeah, next Wednesday. When okay. It up. We do have a few recruiting questions to get through. Caleb wants to know, with Theo Johnson committing to Penn State, are you a little worried about Kirby's recruiting prowess? Oh, uh, no. Not at all. Like, I, look, guys, we're going to miss – we're not going to get every single recruit we go after, but if there's – and you can criticize Kirby Smart for a lot of things. On-field decisions, personnel decisions, all that kind of stuff. No-shows and games like this. You can criticize him for a lot of things. I I don't worry about Kirby Smart recruiting. I just don't. The guy, as Sam Pittman said it best, recruiting Kirby Smart is recruiting on steroids. And again, that doesn't mean we're always going to finish number one. It doesn't mean we're going to get every single guy that we want. But I don't, like, losing one individual prospect does not make me have any concerns about Kirby Smart. Now, if we end up one class, like, in, like, outside the top five or top ten, then I'll start worrying a little bit, but this is one recruit who's a guy from Canada uh, who was watching our. If you were a tight end from Canada, Charlie, and you watched our offense this year, are you interest, interested in coming to Georgia? No. I mean, that's a tough sell, right? I mean, Todd Hartley's got a tough job there. The guy, first of all, you have to get the guy from Canada, get him down here to Georgia, totally different culture, and he's looking at our passing game this year, looking at the lack of targets to tight ends, and he's saying, why would I come there when I can go to a school like Penn State or Iowa or Michigan, his other finalists, who throw the, who throw the football to the tight end far more consistently and make them a featured part of their offense much more so than we do. So, no, I, I don't think this is a reflection on Kirby Smart at all. I think it's more of a reflection on our offensive scheme and not utilizing tight ends and the fact the guy's from Canada and it's tough to get him down here. So, no, I am absolutely not worried about Kirby's recruiting prowess. Again, if he finishes outside the top 10 at some point, then yeah, we have to reevaluate that. But to this point, the man has given me absolutely no reason to have any concerns whatsoever with his abilities on the recruiting front. Next, Elijah asks, which uncommitted prospect do you think we have to sign? Have to sign? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. There's a, wow, okay, so is it? I guess this is a, a need-based question. So the guy that I love the most, the guy that I did love the most was Noah Sewell, the linebacker from Utah, but he committed to Oregon, so he's off the board. He's going to go play with his brother. I get that. Best of luck to him. Would have loved to have. They don't make inside linebackers that big that move like that. But the next guy in line that I think is an absolute freak that I love from a physical standpoint is six foot seven tight end Darnell Washington out of Las Vegas. We've so you mentioned we lost Theo Johnson. Uh, we've already lost. Eric Gilbert in state here, but Gilbert's not really a tight end. He's more like a jumbo wide receiver. But Darnell Washington in a 6'7 frame is a freak athlete. His senior tape was released not that long ago, and it is night, honestly night and day better than what I saw in his junior tape. I mean, I was impressed with his junior tape, and I am 
wowed by his senior tape. This guy is a freak athlete. So in terms of just like guys I want, that's a guy I want because I'm just so intrigued by what he can allow us to do in the passing game. And that is a major position of need because we're losing Charlie Warner. We're losing Wolf. We have Brett Scyther. We have John Fitzpatrick. And we have Rylan Godet at tight end. So three good players at tight end, but none of them have established themselves or really played all that much. Fitzpatrick played the most, but he certainly did not play a lot this year in his redshirt freshman year. And I'm not sure... Any of those guys are going to be difference makers at the tight end position. What we need on offense right now are true difference makers. I think Darnell Washington, if we use him correctly, and who knows if we will, but if we were able to land him and use him the right way, I think he has the potential to be a difference maker on offense that could help us get to that next level to actually win a national championship. So he would certainly be a guy that I think that we, I would say, almost almost have to get right now. Uh, need to get him in, at, at the tight end position. Another guy that I'm looking at is Keely Ringo as a defensive back. This guy is l- tall, long, and fast. He's a prototype of what Kirby Smart wants at that position. If you get him in here, I think he could be an absolute stud almost immediately right away for us at the cornerback position. So there's a couple other guys. Those are two off the top of my head where I'm going to say we need to get those guys. All right. Now we're going to move over to the hardwood to talk some Georgia basketball to finish this up. Will asks, can you explain how and why UGA fans should fill this hole in our hearts with Anthony Edwards? Yeah, guys, I'm not sure that you know this. Ant-Man. I'm not sure that you know this. And he's on Twitter now. We have a Georgia basketball program. The right? There is such thing as a Georgia basketball program. It, it does is. exist. And now because that football, one player. Well, hey, 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 hey. I'm hey. just kidding. Uh, and now that college football season's all, oh my God, almost over. It's about time to start turning our attention towards college basketball. And our, our hoop dogs are actually playing pretty well, considering how much youth and experience we have on this team. And yes, Will is refer- referring to Ant-Man, Anthony Edwards, who I think is I think has a really good shot to be the number one draft pick in the NFL NBA draft next year. The guy's a freaking monster. I know we didn't we only won one game. We finished in seventh place, baby, at the Maui Invitational. But Anthony Edwards put on a freaking show at Maui. Uh, in Maui, and just, um, man, it was it was unbelievable to watch again. Even though we only won one game and barely beat Shamanad, it was his game-winning shot, essentially, as time expired, uh, that won that game, 80-77. to So it, he's just so much fun to watch. And guys, I'll say this, like, we do not, we're not going to get a chance to watch another player in a George uniform here in Athens, in Stedman Coliseum, the caliber of Anthony Edwards. I feel very safe saying that. I don't know if we're ever going to have another number, a potential number one, or even number two draft pick in the NBA. This guy is a freaking stud. I know some of you guys watch him on TV. It's, it doesn't do it justice. you got to get out to the stag. Get out there and support this team. There's still some tickets available because this guy is the real deal. You Trust me, you're going to want to say, I, you, 10 years down the road, you're going to be able to point and tell your kids and maybe your grandkids, oh, I, I saw him play in Athens at Stegman Coliseum back in the day. You're going to want to say that. All right, guys? This guy is that good. So I, I still believe this team. Now, we have a long way to go. Got a lot of youth, a lot of experience, but it Things are starting to come along, and we get Jordan Harris back, who's our best perimeter defender. He's a guy that can be another shooter on the perimeter there, which we desperately need right now, and and more experience. He's a guy that's just got some experience for us, and we need all the experience we can get. We get him back uh, after this game against Arizona State. We'll get him back next week. So I think this team, if they continue to round into shape, into form, by the time the season's over with, I kind of went through the schedule last week with myself, kind of just saying, can we get in the tournament? I think there's a shot we can, like, be there on the bubble. I can't guarantee we're going to get the tournament, but I think we have the, the pieces that they just continue to grow and develop, along with a guy like Anthony Edwards, a guy of his caliber. I think we have a shot to end up right there firmly on the bubble at the end of the year, and that just makes the offseason, the football offseason, so much more fun. So yeah, 
Get involved. Get excited. Let's watch some Georgia basketball. But uh, is that it? Is that it? That's it for today. All right, guys. We did it. We made it through part two of the December Mailback. Hope you guys enjoyed the show here today. We'll be back next week with a lot of recruiting talk. We'll be recruiting heavy next week with the early signing period next Wednesday. Well, the first show of the week, we will have uh, kind of a, a, a early signing day preview show for you guys. Talk about the current commits that we have right now, who we need to keep, who we, need, who we are still after right now, who's going to be committing on early signing day. All that kind of stuff. We'll have that for you guys probably uh, Monday, early Monday. And, of course, we'll recap early signing day later on in the week as well. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.